I haven't done this in a while. From time to time, I feel like God's moving. I want to share kind of like a pre-sermon sermon, so if you would hang out with me for a minute. We still have an awesome message on hell. I hope you smile when we say that. But we were just singing about the great I Am. Who is the great I Am in the New Testament? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He actually said in John chapter 6, I am the bread of the life. In John chapter 8 and 9, he said, I am the light of the world. You know, there's so much light in the world, and it's not that we need more light. We need sight today. So we pray for sight. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, I am the door. He is the way to the sheepfold. He said, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Meaning that it's not just a future resurrection. He is resurrection. He is life. That is the life that we want. In John chapter 14, it said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 15, I am the true vine. I like to talk about that, meaning that he didn't say, I am just the vine. He said, I am the true vine because there are false vines that will come and tangle your life. And uh, in the book of Acts, Paul is on that road to Damascus, and Jesus appears, and Paul says, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus. Jesus is the great I am that we're going to hear from today, church. Are you ready? You ready for the message? Let's hear from heaven. Amen. Years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote a book. It's called The Screwtape Letters. It's written in such a way as a demon is writing to his nephew, a sub-demon named uh, Worms, uh, Wormwood. And he's writing and teaching him how to, to tempt believers, to tempt people in the world. It will refer to enemy. When they say enemy, they're talking about God. They're talking about Christians. And he says, and C.S. Lewis writes this in the book, this is actually uh, screw tape writing to uh, Wormwood. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, a soft, or soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Meaning that when people drift away, it's kind of a slow drift that actually leads to hell. Now church, for the most part, this is what I've experienced over the years. In doing ministry, being a believer, trying to lead people to Christ. That The people I've seen walk away, it's, it's a slow thing. It's that they're on fire for God, they're coming to church, and then they begin to miss a Sunday. Then they begin to listen to a false teacher, or they're drifting, or people are pulling them away. It was gradual. It was a gentle slope. It was without anyone telling them not to go that way. It's without signposts. But what I want us to begin to do today is to stop making the road to hell so easy for people. We have family members and friends who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. With that good news comes the reality that there is some bad news that needs to be dealt with. That God has given us every opportunity to believe in Him to have eternal life. And there is true punishment for sin. There is a destiny for those who have rejected Christ, and it is the place of hell. So let's start making it hard. Let's make it uncomfortable. Uh, let's make it an uphill battle if they really want to go that way. But we are called to go and to make disciples, and that means teaching people everything Jesus commanded. So it's not just, hey, follow Jesus, he's this nice guy. It's that Jesus is God. The Father sent the Son into the world to die on the cross. Why would He even die on the cross? There's a sin issue that needs to be dealt with. And Jesus was our penal substitution at the cross. He bled to cover your sins. 
to offer you forgiveness and also rose again from the dead. He literally died. He rose again to give you eternal life. It could have stopped at the cross, but it didn't. He overcame death and, and sin, and He has risen again. And that is the good news for us today. So we have to be signposts and crossroads in our family and friends and co-workers' life. Now, I have been in, I, I worked at the post office for years, and it was times I feel like God was leading me to share the gospel, to get serious with people. There's other times where you don't want to lose your job, right? That's the religious guy that's always talking about Jesus. Um, but there is a sense where we need to be back in the habit of talking about Jesus. And there is a point where I don't know it all. You, you get with one of those people that want to ask all these questions, and you can say, look, I don't know all the answers to this. I just know that I believe in Jesus Christ, and He has saved me, and I'm trying to tell you the same thing. I can try to find some of those answers or point you to somebody that knows those things, but we are to share the good news. We have the good news. We should be people saying, you're going the wrong way. You know you are. I know you are. Your family knows that you are, but the, there's a right way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We want to lead people to Jesus. Now, church, today we come to the second part of the rich man and Lazarus. If you've missed last week, you can go back and watch it on our YouTube channel, Casper Naz on YouTube. But the meek and lowly Jesus gives some clear teachings on hell. We've learned that that word is actually Hades. And these words of Jesus are very convicting. They stir the soul. When you start thinking about it, two different destinies, everybody says they would like to go to heaven. Every once in a while you get the rare person that says, yeah, I'm going to party it up in hell. It does, it's not going to happen that way. But for the most part, people assume they get heaven just because they've kind of lived a good life. But we should be pursuing Jesus. And here it is. We talked about these two different men with two different destinies. Last week, just as a preface, we talked about uh, what a parable is and symbolism. Now, Jesus spoke in parables all the time. He used examples. When he says, I am the good shepherd, he's using a parable or an illustration. Now, there's something significant here about this in, in Luke chapter 16 that Jesus actually uses the name Lazarus. He never uses a name in any other parable, which leads us to believe, or me, that there's, some, there's a serious thing here going on. It could be a hybrid, a little parable, a little illustrations for you to see about hell, but it's real and very personal because there's names involved in this thing. So it's serious. There's a man named Lazarus. He makes it to comfort. There's a man without a name, the rich man, who goes into torment. We also talked about symbolism. And this is an argument against hell today that Jesus was just using a parable symbolism. The question is, if he used symbolism to describe heaven, does that mean heaven is better or worse? Well, you would say it's just symbolic, it's allegory. Well, what is Jesus trying to describe? Is it going to be something better or worse? For heaven, for us, if somebody says, man, that is the best cake I've ever had. Tastes like heaven. They're trying to describe something that tastes wonderful. And you can't really put it into words. The same thing for hell. Some people have had so much pain and they said it just, it felt so bad. How do you describe it? It felt like a flame. The point is, whatever Jesus is talking about today with torment, with hell, with all of this, if it's illustration, if it's symbolism, it's symbolic for something worse. It's not less. And so as we get into this today, I want you to know that. So here it is. Two different men, uh, two different destinies. One was rich, clothed in purple, ate really good. The other man is very poor. He's clothed in sores. They both share something similar. They both die, but they go to completely different 
destinies. And that brings us to the point of today in verses 26 through 31. Last week, the rich man was crying out in torment, asking for relief. And here it is. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. There's a space here. It is fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, as referring to the rich man was crying out that Abraham would send Lazarus, dip his hand in water to cool his tongue to help with the suffering. But he says, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may be warned or not come here, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And they said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will or neither will they be convinced if someone even rises from the dead. Church, I'm not spending a long part of the sermon here, but it is to say that Jesus elevates the Scripture. Today we live in a culture where people just want the New Testament and the Old Testament doesn't count anymore. Jesus is telling us in this story that we are to hear Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Word of God is elevated. They need to hear his message. He was speaking of one who would come, who would crush the head of the serpent. He speaks of the Messiah, the prophets, the Old Testament, speaks to Jesus. We are to hear the Word of God. We talked about, about being born again. You're born of the Spirit. You're born of the Word of God. It has power. Something else, a miracle does not save people just by sight. Today we want more things to see, more evidence, and the problem today is that, that there's not enough light. The problem is that we need sight. We need to be able to see the things of God, and if, even if somebody rose from the dead. Remember the Lazarus that Jesus was friends with that died, went into the tomb for four days? He comes and says, Lazarus, come forth. There were people that saw Lazarus rise from the dead. Guess what they decided to do? A plot to kill Lazarus and Jesus. You would think that a miracle of somebody who was literally dead, not just asleep and sick, they say in the Scripture, he stank. Jesus says, roll away the, the stone. No, no, Lord, he stinks. He's decaying in there. Jesus said, no, Lazarus, come forth. They tried to kill Lazarus and Jesus to get rid of the evidence. But it's not the miracle that saves today. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that you believe that Jesus, you trust truly that he has died for you on the cross, that he has covered your sins, that he offers you forgiveness, that you can have new life in him. Preaching kind of early here. I was reading the scripture. There's a time where we have to pray over the scripture. Let's pray together, church. Father in heaven, we love you. Pray you pierce hearts today. But those who are still questioning what to do if they're at the crossroads, I pray that they choose you today, that they make the decision that their destiny is secured in you. And Lord, I pray for those who have family members, Lord, that we are stirred in our spirit to share the good news. And along with it, there is bad news. There is a place of torment. There is a place called hell. It is real. We don't want our loved ones to go there. We want them to choose you. And I pray that we speak more boldly about that, that we're not afraid or feel awkward talking about the things that you speak of here. But I also pray today, Lord, that we get serious. Lord, if those who their hearts are hardened today to your message, I pray you soften it. Lord, that you speak clearly to their spirit. Lord, that they are convicted of the things that may carry them away from you down the wrong path. 
Lord, that we're stirred to be the disciples you've called us to be, that we don't drift, that we become the signpost, that we become the crossroads that speak to this world and call them back to you. Bless your words as they go forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, last week we jumped right in to what I would like to keep saying is the words of this loving, merciful, patient, meek uh, Son of God named Jesus. He's the one we love, and He speaks about hell. And we should want to listen. Remember last week we talked about the guy who didn't want to hear about hell. He wants to hear about the meek and lowly Jesus, and He tells him, what I'm teaching you about hell comes from the meek and lowly Jesus. So I mentioned Christianity gives the best answers to origin, meaning, morality, God, and destiny. It means we understand the Christian worldview is that there was a beginning. It wasn't this process over time of macroevolution from species to species. That is a joke. It is mythology. And today we have people, well, I really believe that. Give me the evidence for it. Again, they still reject literal history of a man who died on the cross and rose again and said some very crazy things that a crazy person would say, but he meant it. His name was Jesus. But we listen to all this fictitious stuff today. Species do not change from one species to another. We have an origin. God created the universe. He made male and female. The problem is that we have fallen into the sin, but we have an origin. We have meaning. There is purpose. God wants relationship with you. It's not just that we're drifting along and, and that, you know, the, it's the, the fittest that survive kind of a thing. We are to care and to love for one another. There is morality. God has truth. There are things that are right. There are things that we are to do. There's things we shouldn't do. I was sharing in our class this morning. I, it's perplexing to me that you would ever take down the Ten Commandments in school. It says, do not murder. They take down basic truth and start shootings happen in schools. I would say that is a good thing for us. We have morality. We have an understanding that there is a God. In church, this is often what we miss. There is a destiny for us. What you do in this life matters. And it will begin to split. And even, even you go down, either you go down the way of life or you will go down the way of death. There are two destinies for these men. But today we will deal with the depths of hell. We're going to talk about evangelism, that we should be motivated to share the good news with our family members. Um, but what I want you to see first today is that there is no do-overs. There is a great chasm, he says here, verse 26. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and no man or none may cross from there to us. And church, our loving Lord has allowed us to see into the unseen world. And this thing that happens, what you decide here, while you are living here, affects your eternity. It affects your destiny, and there's no undoing it once it happens, once you die. And so we, we're able to see into the unseen world and what happens after the fact. Years ago, we were at a church, and they had something called Hallelujah House, and it was a walk-through drama around Halloween. And it allowed people to see what happens. I remember one year we were doing it. It was two teenage girls. You know, they both kind of grew up in church. But you start to see one go the wrong way. And one is still trying to pursue Jesus. The, one girl tries to win the other friend to Jesus. They end up in a car accident. And boom, destiny. What's next? One year they asked me to, to play this dad. This guy that would go to church sometimes with his wife, who was the believer. The wife was a believer. The daughter's a believer. And dad comes, and you're going through this walkthrough drama. And it's done so real, a lot of people don't realize what's taking place. And the first section of this, we're sitting in, and it was like a church service. 
And they were asking for donations to give to World Vision or something like that. And uh, they're going around passing a plate. And I start saying to my character wife, and I was like, every time we're at church, they're asking for money. Oh, I can't stand being. So I'd start griping, you know, like an unbelieving husband would do. And people are looking at us like, what is going on? And this one guy over him said, I'm about to punch that guy. What is, who does he think he is coming into church acting like that? And then you go to the next scene, and they realize it was more of a drama. Oh, it's a, <laughs> they're acting out these parts. But my character, after bickering and complaining, goes home, fighting. There's a big blow up with the family, and I have a heart attack, and I die in the character. And uh, it just hits home, you know, and all these things. And you wake up, you're in hell. And the point is, and what we're describing in this drama, you're in hell, Satan's there, and people are watching in the back. And it's eerie, you know. And they said, you know, you're in torment, and I'm crying out, and I'm wanting to get out. And it's a no. There's no do-overs. The point is, is that once you've decided here and now, once you die, it, it's, there's no more do-overs. It says here, there's a great chasm. It is fixed. Last week after the sermon, I had somebody send me a picture. We have it. Uh, it's Bighorn County. Ethan, would you scroll that forward? We have a picture of this chasm for us. Um, but it's hard for us when we're reading here in the story. What is this chasm? You may have seen these traveling through the west here, these big dips. And they're close enough, I think, where you could probably yell from one side to the other. That's kind of what we're seeing here in the unseen world is that they could call out and talk, or, or some could. But there's no way you're jumping. There's, it's far enough apart and it's deep enough where there is no passing from one side to the other. It is, as Jesus says here, there's a great chasm. It is fixed. There's no second chances. There's no do-overs. There's no teacher that can be pressured by the principal to change the grade so the kid can pass. There's no parent that can come in and say, well, I really wanted my kid to get in here. There's no do-overs. You choose your final destination here and now. Jesus has made this very clear for us. We need to get this because there's many people that have come to church, they're following Jesus for a season and they forget this reality and they begin to drift and they fall away from Christ. You must make the decision in your life now where you will go after your death. Jesus has made this abundantly clear here. You do not get a second chance. Church, there is no bridge from torment to comfort after you die. God has made the bridge now. The bridge is, is that you deserve death and hell. God sent His Son into the world. He went to the cross to bridge you from, from death to life to be with God. God became man that man can live with God in all eternity. And that's what we believe as a church. God has made every attempt for you to believe in Him. Your family members, as we learn in the Scripture, they had, all, they had the Scriptures they had the truth. They have just rejected it. He has built this spiritual bridge for us here and now. The meek and lowly Jesus lets us see that the fate of the dead is irreversible. There's no, you can't just change theology and make it up as you go. This is the truth that has been from the beginning with Christ. So what do false teachers do? Of course, a false teacher doesn't want you to believe in the true God. He doesn't want you to believe that if you live a life of sin, you will go to hell apart from God. He doesn't want you to know that he is going to go to hell. In fact, the false teacher doesn't want to go to hell. So they begin to erase the doctrine of hell. And here's logic for you. Jesus is not chasing, changing any of this. It has been the same. No jot, no tittle. None of this is changing. 
It's not where Jesus showed up one day and said, ah, that stuff I was teaching for years is kind of mean, and I'm going to change it just because, because you guys all decided. He just doesn't do that, church. Here is logic. You can go outside and look at the sun, and you can say, I do not believe the sun is real. That's about how, that's how it sounds when people say that. I don't believe in these things. There is obvious truth about God, his, Christ's death on the, the cross, His resurrection, the Scriptures, the apostles. They all taught these things. We are to believe it. It would be like someone going out on the outer loop out here and saying, I don't believe that truck can run me over. I can survive. That's how illogical it sounds when people say, I don't believe in these things. The reason they change it is not because it's true. It's because they don't want it to be true. Because we are going to be held accountable for our actions. Who are we to say at this point what God would and wouldn't do? Why is it now? 2,000 years. Now, there was false teachers in the time of the Old Testament, false prophets. There's false teachers. They're increasing. But who are we to all of a sudden decide, I know what God would and wouldn't do? What makes us think that we get to decide that? It's it's, it's phenomenal to think. The Apostle Peter gives a series of evidence of what God has done in the past. Now, this is the apostle that was really close to Jesus. And then he, he denies Jesus. And then he comes back and Jesus forgives him. And he's willing to actually... The Apostle Peter died on a cross preaching the gospel. He's concerned about the church. He's watched false teachers come in. He knows Jesus' teachings. But he begins to give false teachers evidence. God is going to cast false teachers into hell. And so false teachers will say, no, he would never do that. We just want to be nice. And so he gives a series of evidence. And I'm not going to read all the text, but he first he says, God destroyed the ancient world with a flood. You say that God wouldn't send anybody to hell? He has flooded the earth before. Sounds kind of mean, doesn't it? I want you to know we believe in the Trinitarian God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son was fully present when they made that decision to flood the earth because people were so wicked. And he saves Noah and his family. He has done this in the past. Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. The whole city and surrounding cities, God sent down wrath to destroy them and sent in angels to rescue Lot and his daughters. His wife was still trying to live in the world. And this is the way it is. Uh, Lot saw him and Abraham have a disagreement, and, and Abraham says, his nephew Lot said, just choose a place, I'll go the other way. Lot sees a place, and the scripture says it looked kind of like the Garden of Eden. So he casts his home, his tent, toward Sodom and Gomorrah and begins living there. It looked nice from the outside, on the inside, wickedness. God comes to destroy this wicked place, and Abraham starts to cry out, save Lot. So the angels come to rescue Lot and his family. But God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. There's evidence, the flood, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He also did not spare the angels. The angels rejected God and rebelled, and God cast them out. Now here it is with angels, this is the thing. Uh, one theologian said they're frozen in their decision. I want you to know how good you have it today. When the angels disobeyed God, one time he cast them out. The angels look down and see what God is doing with us and how gracious and loving he is. We make mistake after mistake after mistake, and he's loving and gracious and patient with us, calling us to him. And the angel's like, That's, they got it good. It actually says they marvel. They're watching this thing happening on earth, but God did not spare the angels who rebelled against him. It says in the scripture here, 
For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. This is what he does. He's a rescuer. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. There are those he's rescuing the godly. Others who are unrighteous are to be punished. I want you to see verse 10 here. And especially... Now, we always like to say that, well, all sin is the same. Have you heard people say that? All sin is the, that's all the same. No, all sin is the same in the sense that you've broken God's command. Not every sin is equal in how it's dealt with. If, I, if a little kid takes a pack of gum, it's not the same as somebody molesting a child. They're dealt with. There's evil. There's people that have destroyed their own bodies with living and lust. And here it is, he says, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions. It means especially, not just with the little things, but these big, especially they will be judged. And those who despise authority. And this is what's happening in our culture. People despise authority. Did you know the church has authority on earth? And people are rejecting it. So we ha- we'll have somebody come and a wife comes to the pastor and says, I found out my husband's been cheating and I have to confront that person and say, look, this is wrong. And it can go either way. And you confront that person. Instead of them making it right, weeping and falling down and repenting of their sin, what do they do? They leave. They run off with the floozy. This is what they do. Pay attention. The man cheats. He runs off with his little girlfriend, and what do they do? They run off to another church. No one knows who they are there for the most part. I can have this affair, start over again, still pretend to be Christian. Why? Because they would not submit to authority. They don't want people to hold them accountable. And I want you to know, I don't do what I do to control people. I do it to lead them to life. And instead of repenting from their sin and saying, God, forgive me for what I've done, they continue to live in sin and go down the other road. And I've watched people for years, affair, cheat, Try to create some normalcy. The normalcy doesn't seem as passionate anymore. They hop to another person and own down the road because they don't want spiritual authority. What we do as Christians is because we love people. We tell them about the bad things because it destroys lives. Nobody wants to be lied to or cheated on. It is horrible. These are sins. Now, I want to take a portion of this, and I want you to see the depths of hell before we get into the last portion today. Hang out with me. This is important. I want you to hear it. There are depths in hell. Second Peter, we'll borrow into verse 4 again here. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. Now here, Peter is using an interesting word for hell. So far we've learned that Jesus has used Hades in our primary text here. It is the unseen world. At another time, Jesus uses the word in Luke, Gehenna. It means the valley of Gehenna where there was a fire that never stopped burning. He's talking about how fire continues to burn. They would throw the dead bodies there of the, and people impoverished. It was a trash dump. It always burned. It continues to burn. So we have Gehenna. We have Hades. And here we have a Greek word, Tartarus. It's only used one time in the New Testament. So Peter is borrowing this word from Greek mythology because he's speaking to a, a Roman Greco culture. He's speaking into the lives, and how can I help them understand? So Jewish people knew what Gehenna was. They knew what Hades was, Hades was or Sheol. How do I make Greeks understand hell? So he uses their word, Tartarus, where the titans and, and gods who had rebelled were thrown, a place of torment. It, it was the, the name of the subterranean region. It was mournful. It was doleful and dark and regarded by ancient Greeks as the abode of the wicked dead. 
not just unbelievers, wicked people were cast into Tartarus where they suffer punishment for their evil deeds. The angels are, are destined to go to this subterranean portion of hell. Now, when I read this, I begin to see there's another place for angels to go within hell, which leads me to believe that there are categories and levels, if you will, in hell. Now, not everybody is going to believe this, but this is what I am seeing here, and I want you to see it for a reason. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, if you reject his offer of salvation, you go to hell. However, if there's people that have lived wicked lives away from God, who've done heinous things, and they will suffer punishment in different ways. Everybody is going to suffer in hell. It's going to be hell. It's going to be bad. But there's different levels of torment that are going to be even worse than what we would see here. So this has led me to believe this. So we see the angels are actually cast into an abyss. This word abyss I think it's abyssos, it sounds like applesauce, abyssos, nine times mentioned in the New Testament, an abyss where people or the angels will go and wicked people. Unbelievers will be judged according to their evil deeds, not just unbelief. Paul writes this in his letter to the Romans, chapter 2 and verse 6, he will render to each one according to his works. So not only are you judged based on belief and unbelief, the great white throne, then you're judged according to the evil deeds, or the unbelievers are judged according to the evil deeds they have done. I think that when we go to heaven, we're in the Lamb's book of life, right? If you've believed in Jesus Christ, there's actually a judgment for the believers. We would call this the Bema Seat judgment, where you're judged according to being a Christian. You've known Jesus Christ for 10 years. What have you done about it? Where's the fruits of your labor? Now you get to experience heaven but your heavenly experience will be based on what you've done here and now, which should motivate us to do something with our life. All these people, I've met people, well, I'm just waiting on the rapture. Where does it ever say that in the Bible? We're just waiting for the Lord to return. No, I don't think so. The Lord says we are to be faithful and fruitful. We should be on the move serving. The main point, church, is that hell is going to be horrible. And if it's already bad and there could be worse situations in there, the depths and the abyss, Tartarus, where angels are thrown, it's going to be pretty bad. It's a place, though, Jesus talks about a flame. People are cast into outer darkness. Jesus says they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you ever been in so much pain? You're like, oh, there's gnashing of teeth and anger and pain and wretchedness and weeping. I like where it says in Revelation that the people come into heaven and Jesus wipes away their tears. There'll be no more tears in heaven and hell, constant weeping and gnashing of teeth. Several times Jesus says this in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, he's given this parable. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is that symbolic? If it's symbolic, what is it symbolic of? Something worse or better? He says, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. There is no outer darkness on earth. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says this several times. A place cast away from the goodness and all the benefits of God. Paul speaks about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9. They will suffer the punishment, and, and mind you, it is a punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. It is a way they're cast out. They don't have anything good away from the, the glory of His might. So there are those who today who would speak as if God would not allow anyone to suffer eternally. So there's a doctrine that somebody created called annihilism, annihilation, which they believe that, well, they'll go to Hades, they'll suffer for a while, and eventually God annihilates them, and they are destroyed forever. 
Now, the reason they created annihilation is because they want hell to be dressed up a little better. That you'll go to hell, but it won't be that bad because eventually you will die. The problem is there's no reference in Scripture for it being temporary. It's always referenced as an eternal thing. So why people come up with that is so that, hey, you still go to hell and you eventually die. It's kind of like being in torment and finally it's over. And so it's, it lures people to hell because now it sounds it's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be eternal. But the problem is that there's no mention of it ever stopping. And I want you to hear what the Bible says about this. Revelation 20 and verse 10. The devil and who he had deceived and who he had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. We're... Remember, Hades, the tormenting side, will be cast into the lake of fire as well. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. It doesn't say they're going to be tormented for a little bit, and then they'll die. It'll be fine. We'll put them out of their misery. It doesn't say that. It is an eternal punishment. Jesus and Mark, where their worms, the worm dies not, and the fire does not quench. It's not quenched, ever. He didn't say you'll burn for a while and then he's going to put it out with a fire extinguisher. It never says that and it's never going to stop. In truth, it makes no sense to create an eternal lake of fire if no one's going there. Jesus doesn't, didn't create it like, oh yeah, just for some warmth and glow. There's no meaning behind it like that. It is to cast the, the rebellious angels and all those who have rejected God's goodness. The wicked will go to a lake of fire forever and ever. Church, the scriptures, the apostles, our loving Lord Jesus clearly teach an eternal punishment in hell for those who died without trusting in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the last point here I want you to see, and this is where it gets good. I want you to hang with me here. There's these desperate attempts that the rich man has made. If you would scroll forward to this next point here, Ethan, there's desperate attempts. He's already reached out. I need some comfort. Send send Lazarus to dip his hand in water and cool my tongue. Please. Uh, do this for me. Stop it. Um, the problem is, is this guy now is motivated and he's concerned. He knows he's not getting out and he's concerned about his family members. And I'm going to ask a Melody to come if she's in here with us as we begin to close. Verse 27 and 28 says here, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, Father Abraham, that is, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may be warned Let him warn them, lest they come to this place of torment. Now here it is, you see an almost evangelist. He could have accepted Jesus Christ, he had every opportunity, had the word of God, Moses and the prophets, and here it is, he's in torment, he cannot go back, there is no relief. Now he is concerned about his family. Send someone back to tell my five brothers so they don't come here. And the problem is, what does he say? There's no going back. They won't believe even that there's a miracle. They have the word of God. They have to trust it just the same as you had every opportunity. God is not changing the opportunities. It's equal playing field. You've had every opportunity to believe. The rich man makes these desperate attempts to change his position and condition. And then now he's truly concerned about his family members. And here it is, church. The almost evangelist. I think if he was able to come back, he'd be the most passionate evangelist we've ever heard on earth. He would cry out, don't go to hell. Trust in Jesus Christ while you still can. It's not, even 10 minutes of hell would be horrible. One minute, 10 years, even if you believed in annihilation, 30 years in hell is not worth it. It's not worth going there away from Jesus Christ. People would come and believe and trust in Jesus Christ in droves. But Jesus has said this, they have the same opportunity. I have already come back from the dead. 
And the church is preaching the good news that one has risen. His name is Jesus, and we have every opportunity to believe in His good news and be saved. Trust in Jesus while you still can. And church, the question is for us, are we concerned about the lost? Are you truly concerned? Do you go home and just check out and forget about your family members and binge watch the latest streaming show or entertain yourself and feast as the rich man did? The question is today, how much do you really need, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them about hell? There's people just living a life away from God, and we have the opportunity to tell them. And church, we have to quit playing games. I'm not, I don't care what size my church is, 5, 15, 50, 500. We are called to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. The church made a mistake years ago. We need to be seeker sensitive. The problem is that we've led people to hell doing that. There's just a loving Jesus and that's it. There's consequences for our actions. Um, we need to, like I said at the beginning, let there never be a safest road to hell with your friends and family or your coworkers. It's time to intervene, to be the signpost, the crossroads, the people that tell them you're going the wrong way. Come the way of Jesus. Now the problem is that there's an issue where they're saying well, the church is, is full of hypocrites. And you can tell them you need to join up because you're a hypocrite too. Or you can tell them the truth and just say, I may have made mistakes. I'm sorry. Maybe I've not lived according to the way I am. I'm trying now. Maybe you can't answer every question, but we're still to lead them and share our testimony. Here at the end, I want to share what Pastor Charles Spurgeon said years ago. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms around their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. And that's where we are, church. I think for years we've watched people in sin and we were taught, well, we're just supposed to be seeker sensitive. And we were so much so sensitive and, and making it comfortable for them that we've made it too comfortable. And it's time to make it uncomfortable again. That hell is still hot. It's still real. It hasn't changed. Jesus has provided a way for people. And here it is here, church, at the, in the end here, I just I think we should come and pray for our loved ones. That this man, if he could come back right now, he would have gone straight to his family's house and told them, this is what I experienced. I don't want to go here. I don't want you to go there. I don't want anyone ever to go there. But we've gotten too comfortable, and we need to make things uncomfortable again. So church, if you would, close your eyes and bow your heads. We're going to open the altars. There's people you know that God has already talked to you about that you need to be praying for. And maybe there's someone in here today that you need to trust in Jesus Christ. And I, I bid you today, just commit to Him. Don't worry about all what people think and the people pulling you away. Just say, I want Jesus. I want to believe. I don't want the punishment. I want the goodness of God. I believe in the gospel. I trust in Jesus for salvation. You come and spend time with Christ. Church, let's, let's pray for our family today.